Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. But Connor, for the doldrums, uh, the dog days of August, I, I think dog days of September maybe is, is the expression. Maybe I don't it is know. dog days of I August. Can't, I can't I imagine the dog days are the very first days of August. What is it, April 1st today as we record this? That can't be the, it's April 2nd. That can't be the dog days. Dog days are the 20 pluses, the end, the maybe. boring, the winding but, down. But I'm getting flop sweats here uh, because... Uh, it is toasty here in California. No, not that. Last week, I, I screwed up with a horrible mistake. Did you? I was making a joke about, you had said, well, let's bang this thing out. And I said, oh, Connor, did Michelangelo bang out the Sistine Chapel? And you said, no, I guess not. And then I stupidly said, did Michelangelo bang out the right. Mona Lisa? Right, right. And only upon the fourth listening of the podcast, because, you know, quality control. QC? Yes, yes, QC? yes, of course, of course. Did I realize, oh, my God, it, it was Leonardo da Vinci. But- you know, so that was last week's and mistake. Then it was too late. Cat and, was out of the bag. And now this week, I don't know offhand if the dog days refer to August or September. Yeah. Well, you could always ask your wife who has an art history degree, so yep. she could tell you all about Michelangelo and uh, Da Vinci. Yeah, and she seems if, to have a degree in every other subject, too. If we too, brought Lauren so. in to answer that question, uh, we would not get a word in edgewise the rest of the point. podcast. Good point. So I got I this uh, from somewhere. We're going to do this off the air when we talk to Lauren about that. So what I was trying to get at is that even though this is early August and things kind of slow down in, in France, everyone goes on vacation awesome. for the entire freaking month. We you realize that. that? That'd be great. I took a half of a day off in an August once in my <laughs> storied career at the law firm. Everybody in France takes the whole freaking month it's off. So How great. do they do that? It's so great that you take such pride in yeah. allowing capitalism to destroy your health and I happiness guess. for most of your life. I suppose. <laughs> anyway, so there's news is the point. The Boston bomber death sentence was overturned. We're uh-huh. going to get to that. Hooray? Uh, should, we, mark? should we delay the election? Uh, Donald Trump uh, has raised this question and uh, inquiring minds want to know. General Flynn, their emotional roller coaster continues. Thought yeah, he was free. And now the en banc decision or vote coming up by the D.C. Circuit. He may not be free after all. It is also coming up on the 75th anniversary of the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima, entering this uh, new era in human history. So we will talk about all of that. So uh, before we get to that, though, I have to to say that... uh, the Trader Joe's story that we talked about last week, Connor, there's a bit of an update. Okay, uh, okay. As we know, Trader Joe's had said, okay, you know, if you think this is racist to call this a Trader Ming's uh, Chinese food or Trader Jose's uh, Mexican food, we'll stop it. And they dumped it. And now they've flip-flopped. Trader Joe's has decided, doggone it, we're sticking with these nicknames after all. Branding's powerful what and do important. You think, what do you think emboldened Joe? Joe's dead now, I guess. But Trader Joe's corporate heirs. Yeah. What I, caused them to man up and say, screw you, 17-year-old girl in high school who circulated an online petition? We thought we were going to go along with you, but we're not. You know, I, I think they probably are in a spot that a lot of people are in right now where they're feeling out... Uh, the way things are and trying to 
you know, judge. If the they way were the feeling world. out the way things are, don't you think they'd stick with the you're racist and stick with their well, decision to look, take down the racist They stuff? got pushback. Yeah. They said, okay, we'll change it. A lot of other people said, well, we don't think that is racist right. or bad. And In so fact, you and I talked last week about how 70 to zero right. LA Times letters to right. the editor said, we like those nicknames. We don't think they're bad. Right. In which, at which point, uh, you know, I think this this really tells the tale that there's no cancel culture mob out there that's going to destroy Trader Joe's because they have uh, an attempt at levity in their uh, in their ethnic food names. Thank God, because I love their tater tots. That's true. Uh, those, of course, are Trader Tots. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I, they got funny names for everything. Uh, I think you're child shaming there, Connor. Oh, okay. You're right. So were you finished? Oh, no. You're, he's taking a sip of coffee, folks. Just <laughs> yeah, so there's sorry. a pause that refreshes. Get, I'm been, waiting for another pearl of wisdom for you, and I look over, and you, your lips are wrapped around a the, coffee mug. This machine uh, runs on on high-octane uh, okay. caffeine, I got to say. No, look, this is, this is a company that is... Uh, it's walking on tenter hooks, just like everybody else. I guess you would walk on neat pin, you know, a bed of nails. I, I think beyond tenter, you hooks. walk on hot coals like hot Tony coals. Robbins. Thank you. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. I'm glad we're. This is a podcast where we nail down Connor's uh, inability to make a, a good analogy. Uh, but it, I, I like the fact that they are uh, that they're. It's not like they're pushing back, and it's not like they're saying, "Well, you're not going to cancel us. I'm Trader Joe's, and I'll crush you under the weight of my papayas or whatever." Uh, I assume they have good papayas because they're. Jokes. But it's in my mind, it's it's all a process of people figuring out what's okay and what's not, and what's offensive and what's hurtful and what's not. And if it's not hurting anybody, and the people who might be affected by it aren't yeah, feeling right. bad about it, then it's not a priority. I think that makes sense. So. <laughs> Believe it or not, we are going to get to our first story, but I just thought of another digression. I mentioned Tony Robbins. You know, he became famous by walking on hot Does anybody know really how he got away with that? I mean, was it a total charlatan fake thing? No, no. I, cold, I have heard walking is a real thing. that there is a cool crust of ash above right. the hot coal right. that, that would really hurt your, your pinkies. Uh, and is it the cool crust of ash trick? Is that what he does? I'm not a scientist, but I believe that the walk on hot coals thing is something you can do because of science if you walk in a certain way mm-hmm. science is the explanation for everything by the way if you just walk in a certain way at a certain speed putting a right the right amount of weight on each foot um you don't have to coach your feet in you know teflon or Tony something Robbins is like six foot seven i mean he's so huge how could he how could he point. not crush the the coal down to the sturdy hot coals if anybody knows how he does this uh just let us know royal yeah. oaks at too many lawyers He's got a good coal guy, you know, who really figures it all out and sets it up He's got a good hair guy. Sure. Okay, we really should get to topic number one. I mean, why at this point? uh, I know, you're right. Let's just say goodbye. Say goodnight, Gracie. Uh, The Boston bomber. Right. So a federal appeals court on Friday, this is August 2, by the way, we're taping Sunday, August 2. On Friday, July 31, they overturned the death sentence of convicted Boston bomber. I'm not going to try to pronounce Saranev's name. But they ordered a new penalty phase trial, and they made it crystal clear. They said, let, let me be perfectly clear. Be perfectly he's clear. never going to go free. He's the in Supermax. Yeah, and he's going to stay there. And they're making it super clear that all that's happening is that the new jury will look at whether or not he should uh, be yeah, condemned death to death right. or life in prison. So he's 27 years old. He will remain behind bars for life. Um, I said D.C. Circuit. This is the first Circuit Court of Appeals up in Boston. So uh, it, it riddled me this. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit about this off the air. And I, I don't know if we have a definitive answer. 
apparently the defense lawyers chose not to challenge his conviction. They challenged his death sentence versus life. And what the appeals court said was, golly, the jurors were really biased. Some of them were tweeting out anti-Sarnev stuff before the trial. Right. And Boston was this hotbed of tsunami of negative publicity. I mean, Boston strong. Yeah. The entire city came together. And I mean, you remember your sister was going to college in there. She was locked down in her apartment, which is blocks from this marathon. And so why in the world wouldn't the defense have challenged the underlying conviction, arguing he shouldn't have been found guilty because these folks hated him, not just yeah, the he shouldn't have been biased. sent to, to the death chamber. Right. What's the answer? Well, I, I don't have an answer for you, and we might ne- never get an answer uh, unless uh, uh, Sarnayev makes some sort of ineffective assistance of counsel uh, argument and tries to say basically that his lawyers committed malpractice or were bad and failed him in, in yeah, some so way. I've got a feeling that's going to go over like a toad in the punch bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a strategic decision as well. It's possible that the lawyers didn't really have any idea that the uh, appeals panel was going to uh, start opining about how tainted the jury pool was. This is a problem that a lot well, of the, well, they must have made the argument, though, because I, I don't think the, the panel would have said, well, the defense attorneys not only didn't challenge the underlying conviction, they didn't say anything about the, the jurors being biased. But doggone it, we've read the transcript and, and we think, no, I, I got to believe that the defense did. You're challenge probably right, that. because that actually is one of their strongest arguments against the uh, death penalty uh, being I- administered as well, is that the, the you know, even if he did these acts, the the administration of the death penalty is uh, was was you know biased and based on sort of uh, the feeling, the desire for revenge. But that really gets down to the the brass tacks of the issue: is what purpose does the death penalty ever serve other than the naked desire for revenge? Do, does it make people feel better? Does it give families closure? Does it make society feel like we've dealt with a problem in a more severe way? That or is it really some sort of bizarre incentive problem? As though you know, life rotting away in Supermax isn't uh, arguably a fate worse than death, but, but you know, at least just as bad. Are we really incentivizing anybody? You know, I, I think that there are legitimate arguments to be made that the death penalty does disincentivize people from committing murder, escalating certain crimes to murder, but at the same time, I don't think that those uh, uh, are, are really you know, well documented or could be well documented. And I think they're, they're, those those positives, potential positives, are outweighed by the, the concrete negatives of us all having to live in a society where our government decides who lives and who dies well, you're in a high, you're, very l- r- real way. You're doing a good job of highlighting the underlying issues about capital punishment itself. I don't know that that was really uppermost in, in the appellate panel's mind. I mean, maybe they were focused on that issue and maybe it, it motivated their decision. But I, I think instead, really, the real thrust of this was publicity in a high-profile yeah. case. Now, I, I don't know exactly- It's like Bill Cosby. How do you get a jury that doesn't know who J- Bill Cosby is? Well, that's right. And if we go, you know, return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear mm-hmm. to the, the Lindbergh trial in the 30s when Charles Lindbergh- I remember it well. He, I, I mean- this monster kidnapped uh, his and Ann uh, Morrow Lindbergh's uh, little boy, two-year-old boy, uh, murdered the boy. Right. The guy is caught. I think his 
he was Germanic, and so you know there was anti-German fervor in the U.S. as well, and there was an enormous amount of publicity, and so that was sort of the birth of the issue of high-profile cases and a, a lot of publicity. What about moving the venue? I mean, when you move to the O.J. Simpson case, uh, that stayed in Los Angeles. A lot of people are convinced that it was his. It was fame and popularity that, that influenced the decision. Michael Jackson, uh, he was accused of molestation, and his trial was moved from Santa Barbara up to Santa Maria. Uh, the Boston bomber trial stayed in Boston, and you know, now the, there's some second guessing as to that. I mean, the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh, they had to move his trial uh, to Denver because everybody knew it was impossible to get a fair trial uh, in, in Oklahoma in, in Oklahoma City. And even in the Rodney King situation, I mean, the cops were found not guilty initially, they say, because they were in a cop-friendly bedroom community of Los Angeles. Okay, so then when the federal Rodney King criminal uh, and civil cases roll around, they're in downtown Los Angeles. And did they move the federal criminal trial against the cops out of Los Angeles? No. Why wouldn't they when you can pretty much go to Vegas and bet the house that this jury that uh, lives in Los Angeles and had lived through the Rodney King riots in reaction to the not guilty verdict right. a year or two before, are they really going to look at it? Why wouldn't you move that trial out of Los Angeles? It's fundamentally, it really does get down to what are you trying? What are you trying to achieve, and what does it mean to get an unbiased jury? If you believe that juries work, you may well say that what you want is a jury as close to the issues as possible. It's possible that you want a jury speaking from the heart as much as 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 one can. And if that means that in a case where they think the person uh, ought not have been uh, convicted uh, or ought not be, you know, prosecuted despite having done it, they might engage in a little bit of jury nullification where they say, well, I don't care if this person is guilty of this crime. I'm going to say not guilty anyway. So or that you might want them to say uh, to be as harsh as possible because they are riding the wave of what public sentiment really is. Or maybe juries aren't supposed to be emotionally invested. Maybe jurors yes, are supposed Connor. to be robots okay. and we're supposed to move every single case to Canada so that Canada, <laughs> Canadian citizens can look down right. on Americans and say, well, and okay. preferably the Yukon because that's way up there. Yeah, way, way up there and, and nice and, and brisk in case we need to get out of this hot LA heat right C now. But Connor... That's really the question. Do you want a bunch of well, I have an emotionless answer. robots, or I have do you an want answer. people who are invested? I have an answer for you. Uh, are you familiar with the uh, Tom Cruise movie Minority Report? Of course, it's with, classic. with the precogs and so oh, yeah. on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Minority Report is what you just expressed when you said, you know. Jurors shouldn't be robots. They should be close to the situation. They right. should be emotionally invested in it. Are you kidding me? If you're on trial for your life and you've got a bunch of haters on that jury who hate Connor, you don't want them. It wouldn't be right. The majority report is we want people that are totally objective. You can call them robots. They're still flesh and blood human beings. They just don't hate Connor going into day one of the trial. You know, obviously you don't want somebody that has an irrational, bizarre hatred of Connor. Like or Peter Strzok and Lisa, if, or, they, if they were in the jury to convict Donald Trump. Good it's it's kind of what you're saying. Good thing they weren't. Now, if, if you go in and you say, oh yeah, Connor... Uh, is my wife's ex-boyfriend from high school, and uh, he treated her very badly in high school, and therefore um, I now hate him, and it's totally unrelated to the crime at right. hand, then yeah, of course you want that to be disconnected. But at the same time, 
you want jurors who are not going to try to sort of uh, uh, pull themselves out of themselves. Or if they've been living in be, a cave and they have absolutely no oh sense yeah, that's of the real the, world. The other issue is is if you if if you prune away everybody who knows who Michael Jackson is, what kind of freaks and monsters do you have left on this jury who haven't watched TV well, in they the might last just 40 years? Be elderly people. I don't know that those would be freaks, freaks and, and monsters, monsters would like they? I said. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's a, it's a really tough question. What do you want your jurors to be doing? John Rawls, a, a political scientist wrote a very famous uh, uh, book back in the 70s, I think, maybe 60s, uh, in which he he hypothesized a world where we would strip everything down to the bare bones and reconstruct and rewrite all our laws. But everybody who engaged in the law writing process, the legislation process, would have uh, would step behind a theoretical veil of ignorance, where wherein they didn't know what race or creed or religion or gender or age or profession or wealth they were, so that they could be objective and make they would make laws that that uh, applied to everybody uh, equally. Because you know, I can't be cruel to the poor because what if I'm poor? I don't know, right? I can't be cruel to women because what if I'm a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And that's this great idea, this lovely, you know, concept of the veil of ignorance. And maybe uh, the 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 uh, d- jurors can sort of step out of of themselves and say, well, I'm not going to be biased, even though I grew up watching Bill Cosby uh, on TV, and uh, I'm not going to be biased, even though I felt horrific betrayal at, at be, having heard that this guy that I watched on TV as a as a father figure uh, turned out to be a monster and evil. And and I'm not going to let any of that uh, affect me. But is that possible? The, a lot of the critiques of John Rawls and the Veil of Ignorance is, hold up, you're going to tell me that you, we, we can we, we even theoretically could become robots who make real decisions? How can I make a decision about what the law should be if I don't know what it was like to grow up as a woman or a poor person or whatever else? How am I supposed to say, let's be fair to poor people? Cool. What does it mean to be fair to poor people if you don't have any poor people in the room or rich people in the room saying, this is my life experience, this is my knowledge, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jew, I'm an atheist, whatever, I know what it's like to live in a society full of religions interacting with one another, so let's create laws and make a world you know, that 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 works uh, as those things all interact with one another. Well, we're all sitting here behind a veil of ignorance. We're too ignorant to make the damn laws. Interesting. Okay, well, here's the deal. Uh, next podcast, uh-huh. we, we get John Rawls on okay. a, a, as a guest. And by the way, I am learning so much. I thought veil of ignorance was what every one of Charlie Sheen's wives wore at the weddings. So I'm totally wrong about that. In, in Ghost our, of John Rawls, are you out there? In our next uh, segment of this podcast, we're going to deal with the crucial question. Should, doggone it, we would delay this November election? Uh, are there really solid and good reasons uh, yeah, to yeah, do super that? solid good reasons. Yeah. But before we go uh, to the first break here, uh, just a reminder, if you like the podcast, for whatever reason, please uh, <laughs> go on the internet. I think to, we've given nine or ten so far today. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Uh, Go on the internet. Use whatever platform you use to get our podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. Podcast Addict, I don't care. And rate us, subscribe to us, uh, and leave a little comment on there and say how great we are uh, so that other people are more likely to see us. It really helps us out, and we really appreciate it. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm still Connor Oaks. Wow, and during the break, boy, did we get calls from Charlie Sheen fans, uh, Connor. I, I'm going to withdraw my comment about that veil of ignorance or whatever it is. Yeah, I, some guy named... I said... Uh, uh, John Barron called in and said uh, Charlie Sheen's actually a great guy. There you go. And cocaine's actually great also, <laughs> and you should try it. So uh, Trump's uh, new campaign song, I, I, so he won't get sued by the Rolling Stones, I think is, you know, potato, potato, let's call the whole thing off. I think that's what he wants to do is to push it. It was so transparent. I mean, everybody on the planet is saying, Donald, you want to move the election because you've read the polls and you're down by double digits and all the Republicans are looking down at their shoes and, and kicking the dirt. And yeah, not- I saw a great tweet that was uh, it's, on that day. It said, uh, today feels like a, oh, I haven't seen the president's tweet kind of day for Republicans <laughs> in the Senate. Some people say he was just trying to uh, basically distract people's attention right, right. from COVID and the fact it's getting worse and the fact that people are critical of his leadership and so on. Do you think? I mean, uh, yeah, he's a pretty I, clever guy. Do you yeah. think maybe that was his motivation to, to float a kind of a silly idea yes. just to get people's uh, gums flapping for a few days about something other than the fact that, oh, we don't like what the president's done to, to fight COVID? Yeah, I think so. I think he's got such a strong uh, such strong support from his loud base that they're going to jump on whatever bandwagon and any idea that shocks and um, you know frightens the libs uh, is a win for him because his base gets to go, aha, we're winning by, you know, we're trolling you, right? We're getting a reaction out of you. And by saying something provocative that gets a reaction out of the left or even the center by saying, uh, what if I delay the election, you know, because mail-in uh, voting is going to be uh, fraudulent, even though mail-in voting and absentee voting are totally identical. And in that tweet, he says, oh, mail-in voting is bad, but absentee voting is good. He's totally I mean, this is how he ran his entire campaign. His entire campaign was he went, stood in front of a rally of uh, sorry, Trump. Uh, rally attendees, wackos, and he would shout things and slogans mm-hmm. and whatever they cheered loudest for, that was his platform. He doesn't have any ideological footing on which he to base a platform or, or, or a campaign. He just went with whatever the crowds shouted last. And darn, if that isn't democracy, I don't know what is. Yep. But this is the same thing he's doing. He's shouting things into Twitter via his tweets and whatever gets the loudest reaction, both anti-reaction from the left and the center, the reasonable people, 
and the loudest positive reaction from his base, that's what he's going to go with. And so does he really think he has the power to delay the election or could delay the election? Maybe not now, but after three months of his base yelling about it, maybe he'll, he'll you know, roll with that narrative. He ends the tweet with like multiple question marks just to be, you know, make it obvious to everybody. I don't know what I'm doing, but hey, can I even do this? Maybe, so, guys? So kind of let me kind of ask a personal question. Are, are you feeling okay? Is your energy level? I'm uh, back to my sip f- of my f- fuel. Fatigue isn't, isn't setting in? There you go. Because I, I, it's just struck me that maybe you were tired yeah. tired of attacking the moral perfidy of Trump's audience. It seems like every week on the podcast, you are able to work that into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel that you There's, have strong I would opinions say, about that. I would say that you know I have some positive feelings about them. I would put them in one basket, um, certainly. Would you uh, call that a deplorable basket? I, look, your word's not mine. Now, you don't really mean that this, was it 66 million to 63 million, the mm-hmm, Hillary and Trump mm-hmm, vote? Mm-hmm. You don't really mean to say that 63 million Americans who voted for Trump were deplorable. There are many Americans who voted for Trump, and for many different reasons. I can't look into the minds of every single one and say why they It would voted. take too much time. It would take so long. Oh, I'd have to take so many notes. Uh, but although, if they, Although you could make a comment about how, given the nature of their minds, it might not take long to scan through, right? I'm not saying they're dumb. Okay. That's kind of the problem. If, they, if, if there's a Trump voter out there who's just so dumb, they really didn't understand anything. No. And that's why they voted for Trump. I'm not hating on that guy or gal. The person that I and I'm not, I'm not even hating on all the people who who you know, voted for Trump as a, as a middle finger to the system, right? Because to vote for Trump as a middle finger to the system or to the Democrats or to Hillary Clinton personally, that's this you know method of expression. It's like sort of stamping your foot and and yelling at your parent, like I I I know you run the world, I know you guys are the machine and you're in charge, but darn it. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to do what you expect me to do or what you think I should do or you're going to put air quotes around here what the moral thing is to do and a lot of these people didn't think that Trump was actually going to win and so they you know, are speaking from a place of incredible privilege where the downside of Trump becoming president wasn't well, going to affect them. But because theoretically, the global most of them, if not all of them, wanted him to win if they voted for no, him. No, I think there were a ton of people who didn't want Trump to win. When now, they voted why for him. you pay, I'm you trying to give a, these people credit. Paint a picture for me of the voter who didn't really want him to win, but just cast a vote as like yeah, a protest because exactly. they, they hate Hillary so much. Oh, Is yeah. That because they're so fed up on right wing propaganda. But that, they knew that, that what Hillary it meant evil. if their vote were multiplied a bunch of times, they knew what it meant was that Trump would win. I mean, right. it, do you think there's kind of a protest? Secret, I think there's a I large really protest hate? component. And what? I think those people have mm. less moral culpability than the person who says, I want to live in Trump's <sighs> America, know. where you know, gay people have, you know, worse rights and we're locking kids up in the cages and we're not solving global pandemics because grandma's just going to die and the economy will be fine. Don't worry about it. I think you have it. an overly creative theory. Let me hit you with an alternative. You're kidding. I'm too kind to Trump supporters now? Yes. I'm whiplash over here. Let me tell you this alternative universe approach that I have okay. to the people who voted for Donald Trump. Republicans were told um, that uh, they're toast, you know, after the eight years of Obama, you guys just aren't reaching out to America. And, and basically, you're a dinosaur. You're on a, your way to being extinct. And they really panicked. And then they saw the guy on a stallion riding over the hill, and it was Donald Trump. And they said, oh, well, this is interesting. And there was the populism and so on. But essentially what people saw was salvation from not just eight years of Obama progressivism, but 16 years doubling down and really moving America on a path that these voters really, really found distasteful. Right. And they saw Donald Trump as a way out of that. And I think during the campaign, 
they recognized that this guy was not a perfect human being. Right, right. I mean, all this stuff about the access Hollywood and so on. And everybody knows that he lies every time he opens his mouth right. because he's a salesman. Right. It's worked for him. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, it's the old, the old joke about how do you make a small fortune, inherit a large fortune. Right. And a lot of people say, well, we haven't seen his taxes. We think that's what Donald Trump did. But most people, I think, who voted for Donald Trump looked at him and said, we don't really care who if he he's is. a womanizer yeah. or if he's a liar or whatever. We just know he symbolizes a, a position on the political spectrum, yeah. and it is a st- standing up sort of. to 16 years of going down a progressive, down-the-drain direction for America. Right. That was what people thought. And frankly, I think they still feel the same way. We've seen him shine and uh, do things that have not been so great over the last three years, and people's attitude is still, doggone it, are we going to uh, double down on progressivism as, yeah. as America seems to be embracing right now, or not? So I think that's what you're looking at when you're looking at the at the Trump voters. I, I think you're probably right that that's a larger segment of the population uh, out there, in, in my estimation, total guess, but I would say that's larger than the protest voters. I, I, I was just highlighting the protest voters as sort of the the, the least uh, culpable on right. the, the scale, in my mind. Uh, and then the next— <laughs> Trying cul- to make excuses for Right, them. right. And then the next uh, least culpable would be this group here that is really just voting the party line, who are Democrats, who just believe that you know government spending is actually evil and bad and will produce bad results. And therefore, we actually just have to keep those Democrats in check or else they'll run roughshod uh, and—, and Jack prices up to uh, to a hundred percent. Sorry, uh, taxes up to a hundred percent, and and the the economy will fall apart. Now, that voter who's just scared of the economy and and listens to you know right wing uh, economists say things like, well, if you raise taxes uh, on businesses, the businesses will just fall apart, and then we'll have ghost towns, you know, uh, all across America, and, and, and cities cities will burn, etc. Like, Casper, Casper, Wyoming. Yeah, those are those are bad, right? Casper, Wyoming, actual ghost town, yeah, literal ghosts. I mean, that's bad, right? We don't want that, right? I I get that. I, I, and so, yeah, there are a lot of people who voted for Trump for those reasons. And I could totally get it because if you put up an empty political suit and, and, and a guy with no face, no features, like from a sci-fi uh, uh, movie. With, like with Max no, Headroom. Sure. I, 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 I'm going to pretend that I get that reference okay. because I was born in 89, which makes me an 80s kid. And I know what okay. Max Headroom is. I have no idea. But it, he's got no eyes, no mouth, no no nose. Uh, in fact, he, uh, they have no gender. They, this is a, an empty political suit. And the, the Democrats put this person up and said, oh, Joe Biden uh, took a nap. And so this guy is going to be the new president. Uh, and and uh, I think Gloria Steinem would like this president sure, with absolutely. no gender because at least she'd say, well, at least it's, it's not, not a guy. Not a man. Right. Man or trash. Right. So uh, this this. This uh, this person against Donald Trump, I would vote for that person in a heartbeat. I want there. I would rather there be no president than Donald Trump, of course, right? So, or an empty suit. Now, if you started adding some negative attributes, if you just started piling that in and being like, "Well, he like Jared but, Kushner as a son-in-law," right? They have Jared Kushner as a son-in-law. They kicked some puppies. They were mean to uh, minorities. Uh, they were. But, but you just keep piling these things on, and uh, up until a certain point. It will it'll be still be better than Trump. Right. And I'll have to vote for that person because that's how winner takes all two party elections work. And winner takes all elections produce two party systems. So what are you going to do what, if I'm a hard what a crummy di- system? It'll never last. I tell you. Right. Exactly. I mean, most of the world has has, uh, has, has moved on from it. But but that's fine. We're, yeah. we're stuck with it. So and, and we can blow up most of the world. But, you know, I'm not bragging. <laughs> Not at all. Um, all right. So I think we, we should get down to the brass tacks here, and that's this. It is illegal uh, to, and this to, is 
a legal podcast. So. Right, to move the election date. Only Congress may do it. Congress, uh, since I think 1845, has right. said it's going to be the first uh, Tuesday after the first Monday of November. Right. And so, yes, if a meteor hit and uh, the 10 biggest cities in America were totally blown up the day before the election, yeah, I think we would move the election. Yes, Congress would do it. But we're not going to do it uh, because uh, Trump wants it. They're, theoretically, if COVID gets ridiculously out of hand even more than now, right. I guess theoretically we could uh, get Congress to move it. But basically, it ain't going to yeah, happen. Yeah, I mean, we don't change the the election date for World War II. Uh, I think we can, right. we can right. handle absentee. All absentee voting would actually work just fine and have no co- problems COVID-wise. Uh, so we could do that if, if needed, if need be. And the big postscript, Connor, that some people are snarkily suggesting Trump doesn't realize, the big postscript is, if you do move the election, right. come January 20. Uh, if there's no new president, Nancy Pelosi becomes president right. because the Constitution says the term ends on right. January 20 right, right. and the succession kicks in and she happens to be first in line behind Trump and Pence. So uh, if somebody explains that to him, maybe he will withdraw his tweet. Hey, when we come back, we are going to talk about General Flynn's uh, rather bad week. The emotional roller coaster continues for him uh, here on Too Many Lawyers. Stick with us. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. So it is kind of an emotional roller coaster, uh, Connor. I mean, General Michael Flynn, uh, he has the big job, National Security Advisor. He's sitting in the White House a couple of days uh, uh, after the inauguration of Donald Trump. And what do you know? Knock on the door. It's the FBI. They want to talk. And they're filing charges against him. Everybody's calling him a liar. Oh, I'm firing you because you lied to the vice president. Charges are filed. They talk about prosecuting his son. A total nightmare. All their money goes to uh, to spend uh, on lawyers. So uh, it, it uh, you know he's lying to the FBI. And now all of a sudden, the prosecution, uh, William Barr's Department of Justice uh, says uh, uh, some months ago, "Mm, we agree with the defense, this thing should be dismissed. Uh, Yippee, celebration, hats flying in the air. All of a sudden, the judge says, wait a minute, I'm not sure this is justice. So we're going to look into this. And so I'm going to get briefing and a retired judge will weigh into it. We'll we'll just see whether the charges get dismissed just because the prosecution wants to or not. And then... 
the defense goes to the Court of Appeals in the D.C. Circuit, and the Court of Appeals votes two to one to say, mm, trial judge was wrong, the case should be dismissed. And then, Connor, the, the event of this last week happened. Uh, the uh, full D.C. Circuit voted on an en banc basis to have 11 members of the D.C. Circuit vote on whether that two-to-one vote to drop the charge uh, was uh, was correct. Right. Do you uh, are you comfortable with this process that the justices are being played out properly? Well, I mean, it's it's inherently a, a political process because you've got such a high profile person in the uh, in the, the Trump administration, and you get the Trump administration campaigning so hard on Flynn's behalf, and that is part of a larger pattern of Trump and his administration and Bill Barr as his pitfall finding ways to go easy on Trump's friends like Roger Stone, for example, and now to fight to drop these charges against Flint. So this is a is a problem, and I'm, I'm not comfortable with, with that happening, and I'm glad that this, uh, that this en banc panel has decided that Sullivan's work as the the trial judge in this will go back to proceeding so that that can you know can can move forward in the normal course, uh, despite uh, the Trump administration and Bill Barr's uh, Justice Department deciding that they don't want to pursue these charges after all. Um, I think that's a good thing, and of course he'll always still have an appeal at the end of that right. if he doesn't like the result that Sullivan's court comes to. Um, so it's not like his. Justice is being cut short. Really, the Republicans in the Justice Department were, and the Justice Department were trying to cut the process short and mm-hmm. you know wash their hands of this whole thing. And if we remember why Flynn got in this whole situation, Flynn was undermining U.S. national security uh, by telling the Russians, hey, hey, don't retaliate against us uh, uh, for sanctions because, wink, wink, everything will be fine as soon as Trump is president. So that's what he's saying is Trump is going to lessen the sanctions as soon as he became president. And that, of course, undermines the uh, U.S. ability to operate on the world stage. And this happened to uh, uh, happened to come up in some conversations with uh, the uh, with the members of the administration, the members of the Obama administration, at which point Flynn lied to the Obama administration and said, oh, I didn't say those things on that phone call with the Russians. I didn't downplay uh, uh, sanctions and ask for them to go easy on us uh, because he knew, of course, what the implication of what mm-hmm. he's saying was going to be. And so he, he lied to the uh, to the, the then uh, administration and told them that he didn't say what he said. And then, of course, since we had a wiretap on Kislyak, this, the, the Russian, uh, we had the tapes of him saying what he said. So he was found to be lying uh, uh, to the FBI. This proceeds forward, and suddenly Bill Barr's Justice Department says, you know what? Uh, we just don't want to pursue it for some reason now that we're uh, in power. It's so weird that our guy, uh, we don't think it's important to pursue it. Of course, it. it's ironic that, that all of this is going on, all this effort, all this lawyer time, when all Donald Trump has to do is just pardon or commute the sentence. It's and amazing. when you think about Roger Stone right. getting his sentence yeah, commuted, yeah, yeah. Uh, arguably what he did was much more clearly a violation oh, I mean, of the law and flow oh, activity. Roger Stone is a, is a character from a uh, uh, from a mafia movie. He's hilarious. It's amazing. It's bald. It's obvious. It's terrible. Flynn is, is you know, a general turned political operative who might have some shady dealings attached. But at least he was saying, you know, go easy on the U.S. He's doing it for the wrong reasons and in a way that undermined U.S. interests. But but come on. Stone is definitely worse. You're so absolutely last, right. Last issue here. Uh, I'm interested, Connor, in your uh, in your take on the whole um, 
uh, Obama judges versus there are no Obama judges controversy. Mm-hmm. So we, we right. recall that a few years ago, uh, President Trump said, Trump said, oh, there's a terrible decision is by an Obama judge. Well, Chief Justice yeah. Roberts, who tries to stay apolitical, couldn't hold back. And he publicly, without saying, I'm, I'm, go- I'm talking about you, Donald Trump, it was obvious when yeah. he said in a speech, you know, there are no Obama judges. There are no Bush judges. There are just hardworking federal judges. We all do our best to try to get it right. So that's the controversy that's been brewing. Right. So I'm interested in your take uh, on that controversy with respect to the General Flynn controversy, because I want to give you a few stats. Yeah. Let's talk about the the two-to-one decision in the D.C. Circuit for General Flynn. There were two Republican appointees on that three-judge panel and one Democrat appointee. Now, uh, would you like to guess who voted for Flynn and who voted... I just can't imagine who would have... The two Republican appointees voted for Flynn and the one Democrat appointee uh, voted uh, against Flynn. So now we move to the en banc request. Now, en banc means you take a look at all 15 of the judges on the D.C. Circuit and ask them collectively, do you want to to have a full hearing of this because you're not happy with the two-to-one vote? Well, if you look at the numbers, of the 15, 11 were appointed by Democrats Mm -hmm. and four were appointed by Republicans. Right. And sure enough, that vote came out. We don't know the exact vote, I believe. Maybe it's out there someplace. But uh, all I know for sure is that, yes, they voted to go ahead and overturn the two-to-one vote. Yeah. Now, now we come to the final chapter. There are 11 of the 15 judges who are actually going to vote on the General Flynn case. Right. And if you look in Wikipedia for who appointed these 11, you'll see that seven of them were appointed by Democrat presidents and four of them were appointed by Republican presidents. Right. Now, that means seven to four Democrat to Republican. Uh, I guess one question is, would you be willing to vote, uh, that is, bet, on the chance that all seven Democrat appointees right. are going to vote against Flynn and all four yeah. Republicans. Or do you have more confidence in what Chief Justice Roberts said? Doggone it, there are no Obama and Bush judges. They're just hardworking federal judges. What's your take as a litigator in, I, in the vineyards of the law? I would bet my house that I don't have and never will have because I'm a millennial on <laughs> the outcome. I would say that the seven to four uh, is gonna is gonna mean that. That's pretty uh, cynical, Flynn Connor, screwed. to suggest that the political appointment yeah. backgrounds of these judges. Are you saying you don't agree? But with I would Chief say Justice Roberts. This is a this is a special circumstance where specifically with eleven judges in a seven to four uh, uh, configuration, they can get some political jockeying going and and flip somebody and end up still six to five with the air quotes right result for the majority by allowing a hall pass for one of the justices to, uh, on the liberal side, to go with the conservative side just for appearance's sake. Or on the other side, because even if you turn one guy, uh, you still lose. The conservatives are so screwed that they might decide that it looks good for them to go with a unanimous decision or a nearly unanimous decision uh, because the outcome can't be changed. So in that scenario, while I might bet my non-existent house on the outcome, the actual split of votes, man, it could go any way you want and still be as cynical as you are required to be as a millennial. Well, I'll tell you this, Connor. It's discouraging to me that you have this cynical approach because I can tell you from my personal standpoint, having litigated in the federal courts for over 40 years, uh, generally for insurance companies, uh, I think that I always get a fair shake. I think the federal judges... Yeah, I, I absolutely. And think you have that, no that they, dog in this race because no judges listen to this podcast. Down the line, they absolutely do what they think is right. Yeah. 
No, seriously. I mean, I don't have political cases. I don't have a General Flynn. Or I mean, a- I'm also serious. No judges listen to this podcast. So you can really be as honest as you want. And you are being honest because this is what you've always told me, I'm, that you've had a great experiences with judges. Well, finding I believe that. 90% of the judges, uh, according to surveys, are listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, we can hope. Well, I think we've uh, we've resolved this issue as well as all the other fun issues in this podcast. And um, we've kind of run out of time, but I believe next week, It'll be right around the time of the anniversary of the bomb, the nuclear bomb. We're going to have some, you know, nuclear and international relations angles to this legal podcast that uh, hopefully people can look forward to. Can't wait. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Too Many Lawyers.